Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we are watching the films of Japan Cuts, the 15th annual Japan Cuts Festival of New and Contemporary Japanese Film has kicked off, and we're here to tell you about it. That's right. We are doing two festivals concurrently. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's fun. The Japan Cuts Festival, which is sponsored by New York's Japan Society, running through September 2nd, and it is an online and in-person hybrid event. If you are in New York City, you can go see some of the films that they're exhibiting, or you can buy tickets for virtual screenings. I think the most expensive of them are $10, so... Yeah, it's a good deal. Good deal. Uh, Go check out the Japan Society's website and Japan Cuts for the slate. The unfortunate news for us is that there aren't a ton of horror films featured as part of this. No, but a few genre films, which I feel like we sometimes cover that that funny little Venn diagram between like horror thriller, I think horror that, crime, horror adventure. As with our other festival coverage, sometimes we have to settle for horror adjacent when we can't get horror. Uh, the good news though is that these films are good and interesting and exciting. And if you love horror movies, you might love other kinds of movies too. <laughs> so you should check out this full slate. We haven't had the chance to check out all of the films available in part because we're, we've are we got our hands full with these ones so that mm-hmm. we can talk to you about, about what we did watch and let you guys know about this festival so that you can go check it out if you want, if you're interested in Japanese cinema more broadly. But we're going to talk about a handful of films that we watched and enjoyed just to give you a sense of... What's out there? Some of the stuff you might want to see. what the festival's all about. The first film we're going to talk about is actually a new restoration of the 1991 film Hiroko the Goblin, directed by Shinya Tsukamoto. This is an out-and-out horror film. Yes. No question. No question. It's a horror film for sure. And you can go rent this from Japan Cut's website and and stream it. Though it will be coming to Blu-ray in the US later this year, courtesy of Mondo Macabro, which is one of my... Silly little boutique Blu-ray labels that I allude to all the time. <laughs> yeah, this is a great kind of way to in- get intro to it before you would have to blind buy it. So if you watch it and you love it, there's a great Blu-ray coming out for you. So Hiroko the Goblin is kind of a monster movie of sorts. Yeah, but Goblin, I would say, is an interesting word to use. It's a complicated it's, translation. It's a, it's a translation thing. Um but it's also kind of, just for our own purposes, kind of a fun idea of a goblin. You know, it makes you kind of think about, like, what is a goblin? What does that mean? Uh, you know, because it is, it is a monster, but it's more kind of typically, we might have different words for it in English. Yeah, more tied into, like, Japanese folklore and conceptions of uh, monsters General or specters. General monsters, yeah. <laughs> as, uh, we might talk about later in this episode as well. What did you think of this movie? Um, here's the thing. I know I say this a lot. It's not really my thing, but the thing is, for people whose thing it is, it's like primo that. It's like very, 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 I think it's more your thing than my thing. I'll jump in. It is 100% my thing. Yes. Now, I also say this, I, I am a fan of Shinya Tsukamoto. For those who don't know, he, he directed a cyberpunk horror film called Tetsuo the Iron Man. He's made films in other genres, but he's made other horror films that I really love, like Gemini and... A Snake of June that I think he's a really creative, um, I would say more art house filmmaker mm-hmm. than like popcorn filmmaker. Well, and I've seen Tetsuo the Iron Man yeah. and it's like beyond, it was actually, it was so oddly the second showing at a last drive-in, Joe Bob's last drive-in. Yeah. Um, very unusual for that uh, 
audience. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I don't get this at all. I don't, I don't really understand it. It's way, way too art house for me in terms of horror. Um, but this was like still kind of in that art house vibe, but much more the fun 80s kind of stuff. It was sort of a, a meld of those kind of things. Yeah, it's got, a, it's got a more lighthearted sensibility. And I think it's very accessible. Like it has a plot that you can follow, which is not always true of Tsukamoto's films. Uh, yeah. It has characters who are clearly defined and who don't, well, some of them transform into monsters, but right. who don't but transform into They have normal monsters. like uh, feelings and motivations and things like that. It follows like normal human logic as opposed to like a warped dream logic. Yeah. It's more lighthearted than this, but I think that the thing that it reminded me of a lot was John Carpenter's The Thing. Interesting. It actually reminded me there are um, sort of exorcisty vibes. Yeah. Because it begins very much rooted in archaeology and legend yeah. and uncovering, um, sticking your nose in maybe things you shouldn't have stuck your nose into and suffering the consequences from that. Um, so it's got it's got that kind of monster movie vibe of like, this is what humans sort of, you know, get in, get themselves into when they mess with dark forces. Absolutely. I think that it's, I thought it was really scary. I think it's like really madcap and fun in that like 80s way. I know it's from 91, but yeah. in that 80s way you alluded to. And if that sounds up your alley, I would highly recommend this. I think this is much more popcorn than art house. I think it's enjoyable by a lot of people who are horror fans. Yeah. What I also was fun about it, because, you know, like I said, this isn't like totally my kind of movie. But what I love about seeing older movies like this is seeing the ways that it like influenced current horror. Um, and there's a scene in this movie that like, as I was watching it, I was like, oh my God, there's a scene in It Chapter 2, um, 2019's It Chapter 2, uh, that is like almost this scene like exactly in a way that I, I don't think that scene is in the book or the miniseries. So I think it must be in some part Um a homage to this. You think that Andy Muschietti is a Tsukamoto fan? Maybe, maybe. I will say, actually, I don't want to spoil what the scene is, but I, ha- I, it's actually something that I feel like happens in a lot of horror movies. So it's not like 100% like yeah. this, but the, it's even just the framing of the scene itself of, you know, that sort of um, something on the ceiling that you can't see and it starts dripping and you look up. Like that's exactly what happens in it, chapter two. And when it happened here, I was like, there, there has to be a connection. <laughs> so yeah. it's fun. It's I think that's like that's the great thing that we've talked about with which with watching older films is like appreciating them in an academic sense more than just like a oh does this look good to my eyeballs then I love it like no it's also understanding like wow this influenced horror to come like this is a really influential horror filmmaker like that's exciting still to view absolutely I will say this looks good in my eyeballs I love the gore I love the <laughs> the editing I love the there's some really the good effects, shot. like really excellent effects. I think it rocks. Go check it out. This is one of the hardiest recommendations I'll give. This has not been available to U.S. audiences for a long time. You know, Arrow, Arrow Video did a big Tsukamoto box set last year. This was not included in it. Um, it I don't know if Maybe it's Maybe it should have been. It just got, I think it just got restored now. I don't think it was, like oh, there enough. was a restoration yet. So absolutely go check this out if that's up your alley. If you are also a fan of Tsukamoto like I am. Uh, something else we did for this festival that was kind of funny. Um, usually we watch these movies together, but because we were so, you know, strapped for time doing all this this festival coverage, um, Evan and I actually went off in different directions <laughs> and both watched a movie for this festival and are going to tell each other about it. So the movie I watched is called Mari and Mari, directed by Tatsuya Yamanishi. 
when I read the description, it sort of came across like it was going to be one of those classic sort of changeling films yeah. where um, there's a character, his name is Norio. He's a um, casting director. So we see a lot of scenes of him working with directors and casting agents. And he has like two people who look the same and they and he is choosing between them, um, which becomes a huge theme later on. And he has a girlfriend. Her name is Mari. They have this like lovely, idyllic, peaceful little life. He's obsessed with her. And one day he comes home and there is another woman there and she says her name is Mari, but it's not his Mari. And I thought this, yeah, I thought it was going to be much more like, this is a strange comparison, but like the woman in the window where you as the, the narrator's sort of audience perspective have met a woman and then a woman comes in and is like, no, I'm Mari. I'm your girlfriend. Like what, what babe, what's going on? Like what's happening? Why are you freaking out? It was not that. It was much more, even more Faye-like, actually, because this woman is not claiming to be his Mari. She's very vague. She's very like, I don't know. My name's Mari. I don't have a house. I guess I'm just going to live here. This is where I live now. And he's like, no, you can't just stay here. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And she's like, no, no, no. I kind of just want to live here. So I'm, I'm going to live here. My name's Mari. And she, but she's very strange, kind of very like otherworldly. So again, not that kind of gaslighty changeling mm. situation, more an odd, um, again, like kind of fairy folk kind of vibe. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So very interesting. It has that same kind of foggy feel throughout this kind of like strange, why are things happening? He's sort of trying to investigate it. But again, as I said before, with the... Um, casting element you know there's this idea of like these two women and like who what is his relationship to both of them it's very it was very interesting it was very slow but had some really excellent you know thoughts themes shots really playing with this whole idea of the casting element so cool again yeah not real, not horror but right again like i said on that edge of like that kind of usual um shapeshifter uh changeling horror that we tend to see like invasion of the body snatchers yeah the movie that I watched also did not turn out to be as horror as desired, <laughs> but I quite liked. Um, it is called Wife of a Spy. It is the new film from Kiyoshi Kurosawa, who you may know because we did his film Cure quite Which we recently. Loved, loved we adored Cure. it. He has made a lot of horror films. Again, he is a. I don't even know if he's primarily a horror director, but he's made enough horror films that this definitely piqued my interest as something that could be up our alley. And I thought it was great, but it was definitively not a horror. Yeah, <laughs> Wife of a Spy sounds thrillery. Yeah, it was much more dramatic and romantic than it was thrillery. Mm. It's about a woman named Satoko who her husband goes away and it's in World War II, I should have mentioned. Does some stuff in China and then comes back and without giving away too much of the plot, seems like he's a spy and she is worried for their safety and... Mm. I think that the filmmaking in it was incredible. There are a couple sequences that are quite tense and upsetting. Very similar to Cure in that sometimes it's just a camera roaming, looking at things, and Mm. then something horrible happens that really um, jostles you Mm -hmm. out of that experience. It is much more a World War II, like, drama, and about this woman's, like, faith and fear about the wider situation. Again, I would absolutely recommend this film. Don't expect a horror film. Don't expect to be thrilled right. <laughs> either. The way that Cure... No, it's quietly Cure thrilling. Cure is quiet and is not a thriller. Right. It is not like edge of your seat with tension most of the time. It it's is like, like a foreboding, is thrilling. dark, like 
uh, unsettling tension. Hmm. And absent that, this only has a few sequences that I think are like really pulse horror. racing. Yeah. yeah. But I, I really liked it. I cannot, I don't want to take anything away from it by saying it's not horror, just that it's not typically within scope of what we do. Yeah. The next film we watched was B slash B or BB, directed by Kosuke Nakahama. This is a very interesting little film. I would say it's a like a horror comedy. Yeah, I mean, it's very funny. There are, I would say, only some very specific horror sequences, but it is playing in a horror... Space. Space. Tropes. With, with genre elements. Yes. But it is also very funny and very touching. I think this movie is it's pretty good. It's a hell of a debut because it is like visual style. There out is there. style. I was going to say a lot of style. And Are not you, just like talk one about style? what it's about at all or no. Uh, a girl is brought in for questioning after a recent murder. Yeah, that's all. That's all we're going to say. Can I compare it to a, a film we have recently talked about? Yeah. It's a bit like M. Night Shyamalan's Split. That was my, I mean, I think it's so funny that we just had our Shyamalanathon and then this movie happened, you know, to come into our lives. And I think that there's a lot of interesting comparisons to make. I wasn't sure if we were going to reveal that she had dissociative identity disorder. But now that we have... I think it is in the premise. I will say that it does things to display DID that I have never seen a movie handle as well as this does. Agreed. It, that I, I actually don't want to reveal because I think that this is absolutely one to go to go rent and, and watch because it's so confident in the stuff that it's playing with mm-hmm. visually, stylistically, the ways that it disorients us as viewers and like scares us yeah. as well as the like way that it gets us to buy into its visual language, the mm-hmm. way that it introduces new elements to say like, this is the way that it, our protagonist DID is like manifesting in the world. So that we become yeah. accustomed to it. And I think care, like care about her and like all of her alters in a completely different way than other movies have handled DID. It's so adept and it's so exciting that it is hard to believe that it's a debut. Yeah, I agree. It has such a confident style. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is like, oh, this, this filmmaker's been making films like this for years. But no, it's really, it's really impressive. Highly suggest. Absolutely. And the ending is like real spooky. Oh yeah, for sure. The ending is spookiest part. I loved mm-hmm. it. The next movie we want to talk about actually is being featured both at Japan Cuts and Fantasia Festival. So we thought it'd be nice to cover it here. Because again, not everyone is able to access all the Fantasia Festival films and that festival is ending sooner. So you have through September 2nd to go watch this movie, Wonderful Paradise, directed by Masahashi Yamamoto, who's a longtime Japanese cult filmmaker. This is a, I would say again, not quite a horror film. It's closer to a comedy. Yeah. But it's got like a madcap genre energy that like there's... Would you consider Parasite a horror movie? I think that it's similar to what we're talking about. It's horror adjacent. That's what I would compare this to. You know, just in terms of like... A Korean film, not a Japanese film. Yes, but but in terms of tone. Sure, but in terms of tone, in terms of horror, there are absolutely images from both of these movies that are are haunting, but not necessarily horror. That's kind of like what I... That's I just want to put that in the the mind of the, you know... Can I disagree with you? Sure. I would say that this movie is so much sillier... Sure. ...than Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, and at times is like a madcap... Blood-soaked, perhaps, but, like, raucous comedy with, like, silliness and some CGI. There's a there's a battle between spiritual elements in this film. Sure. That is just not it anything gets more, close to the tone of any Bong Joon-ho film. It gets more supernatural and more uh, 
Yes, with 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 CGI. But again, I I consider Parasite madcap. This is getting into it. I mean, Parasite is one of the best movies ever made. So like, you know, I'm not comparing them in terms of like, this is not the best movie ever made. But I think in terms of like, not being horror, but having these horror elements is that that's why I would compare them. Sure. And being blood soaked. It's about a girl named Akane, played by Miu Ogawa, who was in a film we loved at last year's Fantasia called Special Actors, who posts on Twitter that they're having a house party as she's she and her family are moving out of their longtime home and a bunch of people show up. It's so funny that All you said that, that it's about her. You don't think it's about her? No, I think it's about the family. That's another reason I would compare it to Parasite. Because I think that, like, yes, she has what's what's going on with her, but the dad very much has his own story. The brother very much has his own story. The mother very, very much has her own story. And then it's about all these other characters that kind of come in to their orbit and interact with all these family members. I wouldn't call her the central character at all. Fascinating. She kicks everything off. Sure, she's the inciting, like, she does that inciting party thing, but it's about, it's about this family leaving their home, you know? It's about the party. Yes, but the party is on the eve of yes. the end of their 10 years of family in this home, and, like, the parents aren't together, and uh, the father has had to sell the home due to gambling debts, so there's a lot of drama there, but then there's also, like... Ghosts. Like, demons. The Like, a little boy turns into a stick. Like, there's a lot going on. <laughs> It's crazy. It is crazy. Some of it's very, very fun, though. I think it's very fun. I really liked this movie. Yeah. The last film that we're going to talk about is also playing at both Fantasia Fest and Japan Cuts. And it might be both of our favorites of the festival. Oh, absolutely. It is directed by Takashi Miike, also a longtime J-horror auteur. And it's called The Great Yokai War, Guardians. It's the sequel to a 2005 film called The Great Yokai War, also directed by Takashi Miike, which I have not seen. And Neither I could not find any connections between these films. So I don't think it's really a sequel as much as it is a spiritual successor. Mm-hmm. They're part of like a general sort of anthology of The Great Yokai War. It, well, this I is a very contained story. Yes. I don't know how to set the stage for this because I don't think I've ever seen anything that's exactly like it. It is a fantasy adventure family movie with lots of horror elements that just has imagination beyond almost anything I've ever seen. Yeah, I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to it by comparing it to things because like, but I'm going to do it. Um, Because I feel like as I was watching this, the thing it called to mind was like Disney Channel original movies. If Disney Channel original movies were directed by someone with the skill of Guillermo del Toro. Correct, correct. That's why I'm, that's why I'm saying it's a disservice. Like, it's it's much better than a decom. But the, the feeling of watching it, the joy, the genuine, like, asking of it, us to buy in fully as an audience, yeah. I think is very present here. And it's why it's such a pleasure to watch. Yeah, I would say other things in this vein are, I think you compared it when we were watching it to Labyrinth and to The NeverEnding Story. Mm-hmm. So I think things that are outside of... I think, unfortunately, I think that decom is a dirty word more than it's praise. Again, that makes me sad because I love decoms and I wouldn't want that to be like, because what I what I mean by it is not that it's amateurish. I think that's what some people would say about decoms, right? Is that they're amateurish. And I would say cheap. Sure. And that is not this. But decoms specifically like something like Halloween Town, um, which I think one would also say is like, it's spooky, not scary, right? Like no one would ever watch that movie and be like, I'm terrified. But it's got a lot of like, a lot of characters, a community, uh, lore, like deep lore of like, 
young child from our world finds themselves in magical world. Yeah, well, and let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. So I agree that that's a that or like Narnia is the plot of many a a family or children's movie. Right. This is about a fifth grader named Kei Watanabe who is the descendant of a legendary samurai, a real samurai in Japanese folklore, who gets pulled into this fantasy world by these yokai, which we really just don't have an American analog for. No, we just we just talked about it with Hiroko the Goblin. Yeah. Like the... Spectre is what I've seen described as the best translation of that, but it's mm-hmm. like everything from kaiju to folklore figure to monster a la Halloween Town. That's what that's There that's are the, vampires. There's an abominable snowman in this. Right. Like, that's why I would compare it to something like Halloween Town now that we're kind of getting deeper into yeah. it. Because if you are walking into Halloween Town, and this is sort of the equivalent, not, not even actually just the Halloween Town of the movie Halloween Town, but also the Halloween world of Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Where you're looking around and you're like, there is every kind of beast here. And they all live in this like village and they have lore and they have a community and they have council meetings. Like there's something about that that's like, well, yeah, they it's live- so different from other kinds of monster movies like these where like they have bureaucracy. <laughs> And, not and just that's that. so specific. They have national identity. Right. They they go to a council to discuss the, the problem, which I don't think we need to get into the plot of, but like there's a problem and so the boy needs to save them. That's yeah. the structure He's of these He's the movies. descendant. That's his and job. And they basically all say like, no, that's Japan's problem. Whereas the Japanese yokai are like, feel this investment in it. And I think that's so interesting that like, they have politics. Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying. Bureaucracy. Yeah. And like, I think that is something that feels very... Of akin like these movies we've talked about, where like family movies and little children's movies, where it's like these monsters are like adults. Like yeah. they, there's this like, of course the monsters have council meetings and presidents and things like that because they're grown ups and I'm just a little kid and they expect me to do these things. And I just think that's so. There's something about that that just feels so like universal and touching because we again we're the he's our audience surrogate we're thrust into this world he's a fifth grader he doesn't know what he's doing but he's got so much heart and he's like and he starts to fall in love with these creatures as we do and like it's just so it was so lovely to watch it all unfold and this actor the kokoro tarada who plays this fifth grader is so good he's He's so so funny he's so charming there are some emotional beats at the end that really got me like, he's I, just think so good. I think we set he's up so like the good. plot of this movie enough, right? Like, yeah. he's gonna solve a problem. He goes into a fantastical world. He, a la Del he fails a lot, which I think is lovely. Like, there's a lot going on there of like him not being like this kind of perfect chosen one that I think is so much fun. I I really don't think I could just like, compare this to an American movie because like, well, what it's so good, but it's just so imaginative and earnest, and like it feels good to watch. the The realization I had as I was finishing it is that like. The American analog of this has a bunch of, like, snark and acidity and, like, quote-unquote jokes for adults Mm -hmm. to make it, like, a family movie that's not just for kids. This doesn't have that. It asks its adult viewers, which we are, to buy into its world and to go on this adventure to, like, be a part of this journey without having to be, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Well, that's actually, that's why I think all of our comparisons to it are things from the 80s and 90s. Right. Before... Uh, movie makers felt like they had to do that. Before Marvel broke everything? Not even that. Disney is absolutely culpable as well in like these Aladdin. movies. 
Well, and they all, they feel like they have to give you like, um, modern, uh, like there have to be jokes about Twitter or jokes about Snapchat like or jokes about like, yeah. yeah, contemporary. And there's gotta be like jokes about brands. Like it's gotta be meta. Whereas this is about tradition and like a history yeah, and like a legacy. There's, it's timeless. This could have come out in the eighties. It could probably come out 20 years from now and be exactly the same, except like the CG, like you wouldn't see this in the eighties because all the effects would be practical, but the CGI actually looks pretty good in this. It's not, it's not bad. Well, I would say there's a great combination of so much good practical like makeup and, and prosthetics work mm-hmm. in addition to like smartly use CGI. Yeah. This is the thing that I, I like wrangled a bit at the decom comparison. Cause I don't think that you're wrong in what you're saying, but I do think that those movies feel quite cheap. They feel like TV movies. This feels expensive. This feels like they did not cheap out on any of these effects on any of these makeups for any of these yokai mm-hmm. on the scale of the fights that happen. I mean, it's big. We cover a lot of indie movies for these festivals, mm-hmm. right? We cover a lot of indie movies on this podcast where it's, we appreciate filmmakers solving problems with limited budgets and limited resources. Yeah. This like, I wish we had seen this in a movie theater. Totally. This rocks. Again, uh, the decom comparison is more to convey no, no, I, how it like, it doesn't, but it's important. It doesn't feel like a blockbuster because it feels so intimate. It has such As heart. It has a lot, a big scope. It has a lot of big, like you said, action sequences. And again, even just monster wise, it's huge. There are kaiju, but it feels so like sweet and I feel very touched by it because it's such a small story just about this little boy and his brother. Yeah. And this world. Yeah. It's great. I love this movie. I I cannot recommend it enough. Run to this movie. Seriously. You have time. I want, I want people to be able to see this and I really hope that it gets like a widespread us release because like I said, I will go back and see this in the theater because it's just so sweet and it's going to look so good. Maybe you would come to the AMC river East. They love to show movies like this. It's true. Shout out to shout out to the Ames River East for the, the playing local foreign chain of films our, sometimes. <laughs> the biggest movie company in the world. It's so funny. World. I think they're just at this moment. It's like this post pandemic time where they're trying to fill uh, a lot of their screens, and there just aren't enough movies, so they're like just trying to pull random new releases, and it's very fun. Yeah, I wonder how many of our listeners live in a place with theaters with twenty one screens. <laughs> I hope you all do. I know it's not true, but I, I wish it upon all of you because it's very good. It's nice to have choice. Yeah. Even even at the multiplex. As Marty Scorsese would say. I don't think that Marty Scorsese is a fan of the AMC River East. Maybe he should be. It's showing little indie films. Shout out to the Music Box and uh, well, yes, the Gene Siskel Film Siskel, Center. Of course. We, go, we patron them as well. And the Japan Society, who put on this festival, who, again, we really encourage you to check out Japan Cuts. This was really fun. The festival runs through next week, and I will probably watch more of these films. We just didn't have time to do that before recording this episode. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think that any of the other things on the slate are really horror. I'm just going to watch them for my own... For fun. My own enjoyment of contemporary We do watch non-horror cinema. films occasionally, every once in a while. I've been known to. I'm guilty. <laughs> guilty as charged. Guilty of stepping outside the genre. Our next episode will be a Fantasia Fest wrap-up. We recover the even more films of Fantasia Fest, which is running through the 25th. I'm excited to see more movies. We've got still got a bunch on our list, and I, yeah, I'm excited to talk more about them. Kind of do a little wrap up of everything we've seen. It's festival season, folks. It's too many, too many new movies at once. And then someday, someday soon, we'll finally get back to our the good old roulette. Um, 
two episodes now ago, we we rolled American Mary. And once festivals are over, we will be getting to that as well. So you can look out for episode 102 in the future. If you're tired of new movies and you just want old movies. <laughs> Whatever schlock the, the Whatever roulette's the throwing does these days. Oh, man. I would right. love if some of these um, festival movies, I mean, a lot of them are coming to Shudder. A lot of them are getting wider releases. Like, it's possible we could roll them. Because it'd be really fun to discuss some of these movies in more in depth. Absolutely. I, I That's the problem with us talking about so many movies at once, and especially ones that we know that a lot of people don't have a chance to see before we tell them. Yeah. Is that I don't want to I don't want to spoil them. So yeah, we try not to. Yeah, some some of the ones we'll be talking about next week will be coming to Shutter or other streaming services soon. So which is great because we want people to be able to see them. Yep. All right. Until then, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.